Ugh, I can't believe this break is over already. Ugh. Seriously, this is the worst. Yeah, why did we even decide to be teachers? Oh, crap. Music. Hi, everyone. I'm Clint. And I'm Chad. This is Schooldia, the podcast made by teachers for teachers. Brought to you by two middle-aged dads and hipster doofuses who talk across the country about the American education system. We hope our podcast gets you back into the groove after a long winter break. Making it hasn't really done it for me. <laughs> well, for our first episode of the new decade, let's talk about snow. Didn't we already do an episode about that topic? Yeah, but this time it's a game. All right. What's the game? I have two snow day stories in two envelopes labeled heads and tails. Whoa, so do I. Excellent. One of those stories is true and the other is false. You will then flip a coin and I will read the corresponding statement. You'll have 60 seconds to determine if I am telling the truth or lying. So you'll just question me. Wait a minute. Is this a ripoff from The Tonight Show's True Confessions? No, 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 no. They have three players, and we have two. And ours has a different name. Fact check. So we can't be sued. Perfect. I did not say that. Go ahead and flip your coin, sir. It is a heads. Okay. So here is the story. And remember, you're going to have 60 seconds to, de- to question me and determine whether or not I'm telling the truth or lying. Okay. When I was in middle school, my friends and I packed snow onto my sister's boyfriend's car windshield, causing them both to freak out at us. It wound up being a layer of ice an inch thick that took them an hour to remove. All right. Was her boyfriend's car at your house? Yes, it was at my house. Okay. And how long was the snow on the car for? Uh, I don't really remember. It was... It was like overnight? No. Okay. He didn't spend the night at I, our house. This is, she, she was in high school. Okay. When you said freak out, like what... Were they pissed? Yeah. Or were they just Super like, pissed. Mm. How old was the boyfriend? Uh, Probably 18. Were you intimidated or scared of him in any way? Not really. Because... Because I was a smart alecky little jerk. And this was like, I think I asked this already. This was on the windshield? Yes, it was on the windshield. You've got And that's where seconds. the ice developed? Um, what, what prompted you to think this was going to be a good idea? Uh, we did not think about it at all. We were middle schoolers. We just were like, let's put ice on, or let's put snow on his windshield. We did not think it would turn into ice. Did you use shovels? Or was this just like by hand? You just kind of dumped it on? All by hand. Interesting. Now do I guess? Yeah, you gotta guess. I think it's a lie. You think it's a lie? What makes you think it's a lie? It, I don't know. I, the only thing that I'm, I'm, that's, I'm sticking on is I don't know why it would have turned into ice. Mm. Like, unless maybe the windshield was warm when you put it on and then it melted a little bit. I, that's the only thing that I, it's my sticking point. I don't know why it would have turned into ice. Well, it was the truth. And to be honest, we didn't know that it was going to turn to ice either, which is, you know, why we did it. We were just like, haha, let's put a ton of snow on his windshield so he has to push it all off when he leaves and then it turned out to be a big thick thing of ice and we didn't do anything to help him clean it off we just ran away and this was on a snow day it was on a snow day yeah he came to visit on a snow day okay so i'm gonna flip my coin here okay okay it is tails all right so when i was in seventh grade my parents who should be noted were also teachers uh did not get the canceled school message on a snow day dropped me off at my middle school and it wasn't until they got to work uh, before they realized that we had no school that day. Uh, what grade were you in? Seventh grade. I already said that. Okay, so you're seventh grader. Yep. Um, this is pre-internet, Correct. so you wouldn't have been able to check it on there. Uh, what, what radio station did you listen to in the morning? So it was 1340 KIHR, but they were not listening to the radio that morning. We had had snow for a couple days prior to that and been going to school, and there was no like new weather changes in the evening, so it didn't even cross their minds that we would not have school. Hmm. 
Okay. What was the reason that they ended up canceling school? I, yeah, I don't even remember. I'm thinking maybe like icy roads or something like that. But uh, like I said, there was no new, no new snow. And did your parents both teach in the same district? They did. They taught at the same school. My mom was a part-time teacher, so she didn't go till the afternoons. And so my dad was the one who uh, would drop me off at, uh, at my middle school on his way to work. And so your mom was just at home? Yes. And there was no phone tree? They did not do a phone tree uh, when I was in middle school. It was all radio. Well, my time is up, and I'm going to say no phone tree? That sounds like a lie. Phone trees are <laughs> a staple of school society. I'm calling it a lie. Ah, uh, it's a lie. Okay. It's a lie. Okay. Yeah, didn't happen. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Even though you sleuthed through the clues, did I sound like I was lying at all? No. Uh, I was impressed that you immediately had your radio station available, and uh, it sounded like a plausible story. Thank you. I was a little bit clued in by the idea that there had been snow for a few days, but then canceled it all of a sudden after no new snowfall. So that seemed a little weird, but I could have understood like a like a it melted and the, the roads got icy. But anyway, I thought that was uh, I thought that was a good story. All right, thanks man. What was your true story? So I took a I took a personal day, a pre-range personal day once and uh, I was down in California uh, on an extended weekend and my school district had a snow day, so school was canceled and they still made me use up my personal day. Oh. Yeah. And the logic for that was that I should have called that morning and canceled. And I said, why would I have called to cancel it on a day that there was no school? Right. What was your what was your lie? My lie was that I once built a full size snowman on the hood of a friend's car and that it ended up denting the hood and cracking the windshield when it fell over. Oh, wow. That would have been good. That story was actually from my parents. They built a snowman on a friend's car in college um, on a snow uh -huh. day. And I don't know if it actually did any damage to the car, but we have pictures and actual like reel-to-reel -reel movie footage of them building it. Wow. In the day. Cool. Well, that was a nice game. And now let's take a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of Schoolja is brought to you by Pocket Potty. An average person empties their bladder six to eight times per day. In most careers, when the urge hits, you can step away from what you're doing and visit the restroom. Not so for teachers. With 30 students to keep under control every minute of the day, by the time they get on the bus, your bladder's fit to bust. What's a teacher to do? Introducing Pocket Potty, the first over-the-counter self-catheter system designed for the working teacher. Unlike most self-cath systems, the Pocket Potty is designed to remain comfortably inserted throughout the workday, eliminating both your urine and the need to use the toilet. And with its durable, puncture-free drainage system, you can feel secure that your pee won't get free. Don't endure the pain and damage to your kidneys of holding it all day. Just slip in the Pocket Potty and get back to work. What a relief. <laughs> Welcome back. I don't know about you, Chad, but my break was full of delicious food and a lot of sitting around. Thusly, I have to put myself on a diet and exercise program to try to shed some of these holiday pounds. The holidays will do that to you. I'm supposed to say, not to me, of course, because I only eat grilled chicken breast, spinach salads, and delicious dirt. Uh, but that's not true because I have eaten like a glutton this Christmas break and I have loved it. <laughs> well, good for you. But it does bring up an important point that really does affect us, which is nutrition and how it affects learning. I am no nutritionist, but it does seem clear to me that what we eat has clear correlation to how our bodies function. And as our brains are part of our bodies, it stands to reason that without good nutrition, it becomes harder to learn. And uh, I did a little bit of research here and found a website that talks about how having quality meals 
and good nutrition helps students learn. This is from the Brookings Institute. They did a study where they found that in years, this is a quote, in years when a school contracts with a healthy lunch company, students at the school score better on end of year academic tests. Uh, about four percentile points better. And not only that, the test score increases are about 40% larger for students who qualify for reduced price or free school lunches. So these are the students that are the ones that are most likely to eat the school lunches. So it does clearly have some kind of correlation to how a student performs if they have good nutrition uh, going in. And this is why government seeks to regulate uh, what schools serve in their lunches. But, you know, the question we keep asking is, are those regulations helpful? And also, are those regulations, like, they've been relaxed with the current administration. When Obama was uh, president, uh, that was Michelle Obama's, the first lady's big push was to have healthy lunches. And uh, lots of people complained. And in fact, some people, there was a guy, current agriculture secretary, says it doesn't do any good to serve nutritious meals if they wind up in the trash can which he posted in the on the USDA website. Uh, so they relaxed those rules and basically allowed a lot more sugar and a lot more simple carbohydrates and things like that to get into the meals, which part of the reason that they did that is because it was cheaper. Uh, it's way cheaper to have uh, more processed, less healthy food. And that allows schools to save some much needed funding. It's another big important thing is that if our students aren't getting proper nutrition at home, which we know that lots of people uh, live in what are called food deserts where they're not able to have access to fresh fruits and vegetables and quality uh, whole grain products, then what is our responsibility as an education system or as individual teachers to help with this situation to make sure that our kids are well-fed and, and able to function? Man, there's a lot there. Clint, what do you see with school lunches at your school? Do you eat them or, or do you see kids eating them? And, and kind of what's your experience in and, and what school lunches are like. I don't eat them, but both of my two older kids do because Roanoke City is, uh, I, I think it's Title I is the reason, but all kids have access to some foods for free every day. And so my kids, because they don't like packing their own lunches and they are fine with the food that is there, will go and get it. But the things that they mostly get are things like chicken nuggets and chicken burgers or pizza. They'll sometimes get like carrots or an apple or something like that. But for the most part, they are not that interested in eating like a salad or uh, or any other kind of vegetables. They It's a la carte. They go through, they pick what they want, and what they want is highly processed, greasy food. I don't know what it's like in Astoria anymore. There was a time when uh, there was a pretty big push to try to have more fresh foods, uh, but I don't know if that if that still is the case or if the or if those things have changed. I think the push has been to kind of go back more to food that's being cooked in the kitchens rather than just, you know, thawed and reheated boxed food. And I think that's kind of overall, maybe nationwide, that's kind of been more of a push because I definitely know there was a time there where most of uh, school kitchens were just reheating things. And I think one of the misconceptions to that, of course, is that just because you're cooking something fresh doesn't necessarily make it healthier. And, and we have to be careful of, of us making that assumption. One of the things that I see a lot, and this kind of goes along with that quote you shared, is kids, uh, if they go through the lunch line, are required to take a fruit. The lunch people cannot let them purchase the food without having like an apple on their tray and then right when they walk out of the the cafeteria line there's a bin that allows them to put anything that they're not going to eat it back in there which is pretty much just apples 
sometimes milk. So they, so you have this bin at the end of the day. And, and I mean, I've taken pictures of it to show some of my health classes. I mean, there's at least a hundred apples in that bin. So, you know, I think you can lead a horse to water, but, um, it's, it's hard to make them really consume the, the good food, even if it's available. Do you know what happens to those foods? My understanding is that it can't be like reused. Uh, you can't put the apples back in line, but, um, I believe that ours are donated to the food bank. One of the things I remember that you had developed back when you were an assistant principal is that you had a local group that would bring in some fresh fruits and make them available in the in the front office for kids who just needed a snack. You want to talk about that just a little bit? That started out with a program. Actually, my, my dad, who was a PE teacher, started when I was in elementary school where um, he had uh, fruit donated and, and delivered to each classroom. Each elementary classroom had a bin of apples that you could just go and grab an apple anytime you wanted. And when I started as an assistant principal, I felt like, I mean, we obviously connect through food in our cultures. And and a lot of times that is a sign of peace (laughs) to offer people food. And I knew as an assistant principal, having students coming in that might be hungry and that also have probably not necessarily eaten over uh, a conversation or had that kind of connection with somebody while eating. And then also as a, as a peace offering, sometimes for kids that might be coming in and in trouble and there might be some tension between the two of us that, hey, grab an apple or grab a, you know, whatever, whatever we had. So that's kind of how it started. And it's still going. It was really successful. We had a lot of kids that would come down and, and just to say hi and grab a apple or something. And I thought it kind of killed a lot of birds with one stone. And that number one, it, again, it was a, it was a chance for kids who normally wouldn't want to come down to the assistant principal's office to come down and say hello. Uh, but then also, of course, you're getting like a snack and a lot of kids would just come down and be like, man, I have not eaten anything all day. I'm irritable. My teacher's really bothering me. I asked him if I could just come down just for a break and get something to eat. And, you know, I think it had a huge impact. I've had quite a few students here in Roanoke who will come to me and be like, hey, do you have anything to eat? I haven't eaten yet today. And I generally don't have anything for them. Um, I usually keep a package of dum-dums in my (laughs) desk drawer for like rewards when we play games and, and that kind of thing. Like I feel badly because I don't have any place where I can send them and be like, hey, here's a place where you could go and get good food. You know, I'll, I'll give them a sucker, but that's not anything that's good for them. And I feel like I'm kind of part of the problem. You know, a whole other issue to this nutrition thing, and, and especially how it's affecting our learning, is just the not eating at all. So we, we spend a lot of time talking about making sure kids are getting nutritious food at school or bringing nutritious food. But I think even more impactful to learning and energy levels and everything else is just not eating. And a hungry kid cannot learn. And so I think part of it is just educating kids on like the importance of eating breakfast. Now, I talk in my in my health classes quite often, and we, that's one of the questions we, we bring up is how many of you, you know, skip breakfast. And there's a lot of people, kids and adults that choose not to eat breakfast. But then what I find out is that a lot of kids say, well, I don't eat breakfast, but you know, I always make sure to have an apple before school starts, or I eat a granola bar on the way to school. And that is fine. Like that is breakfast. You're, you're getting, it's, it doesn't have to be, I think people think it has to be a big bowl of cereal or a sit down breakfast or something. And I think the idea is that you haven't eaten since maybe nine or 10 o'clock at night or earlier. And if you wait till noon to eat again, you're talking about 14, 15 hours between eating. And it, and we're expecting you to learn a bunch between 8 a.m. and noon without any any energy. And so I think the big thing is just educating kids that just eat something. Get something in your body to start the day, and you're going to start feeling better. Kind of to wrap this up a little bit, what are things do you think that uh, schools and teachers can do to help 
kids. Like as an individual teacher, I cannot go out and purchase food and bring it in every day for kids because I, you know, I have a teacher salary. I can't afford to do that. But what are things that that uh, schools and and teachers can do to help kids with these problems? I know this sounds a little bit obvious, but I think we could still do a better job of educating people. I'm always surprised to to learn what a kid thinks is healthy or unhealthy is, is oftentimes pretty skewed. I think we have to uh, do a better job of looking at the amount of sugar we have in a lot of the foods that we eat. I think that's really important, especially in the drinks that our kids consume. There's so much sugar. And if you're talking about anything that's really affecting kind of the ability to learn, have you seen the the documentary, That Sugar? film? Mm-mm, I haven't. One of the things they talk about is that kind of that sugar rush and then that crash that really happens in our bodies. And they they relate that to, well, how in the world are our kids supposed to be able to focus as they're going throughout the day on this wave and then this these crashes of these sugar highs and lows. And, and I think that's really affecting kids a lot. That is one of the major problems also with our school lunches is that they are fairly sugar laden. And I think that those alliances that you talk about with the um, with the co-op in your community, I think that that's an important an important thing to also work towards. If we can find folks that have a vested interest in helping students perform better and make those connections at like a district level, it doesn't have to be a school level, but make those connections and try to uh, make them available outside of the cafeteria. You hit on something big about it being in the office where kids kind of are going to get information and, oh, there's a snack here. And it it helps with the school culture. It kind of helps with a lot, like you actually care about them. It's not just, you know, the institutional location of where things are set up. And so I think that that is big. I think that you hit on it with sugary um, beverages. To, to add, I, th- I think I think adding some novelty to, to eating well, there's been times where I have gone down to the cafeteria with a basket, filled up the basket with all the apples that were sitting there available to the same kids that I'm about to give them to. And in the middle of a long period, I would just say, hey, we're going to have a little break. If anyone wants an apple, please help yourself. And like kids sprint to the basket and the basket's empty. And it's weird because that was available to them all day long. Not only does it send a really great message that, hey, this is a healthy snack and you obviously are enjoying it, but it's also, you know, you add a little novelty to that and it sends, like you were saying, it's, it, it sends a message that uh, that it's important. There are, there are healthy ways to snack and it sets a tone that kids can kind of get in the habit of doing. A similar thing to that that I used to do was I had a, a water dispenser that I would fill every day down in the cafeteria with ice and then put water in it throughout the day. And students that normally came in with tons of energy drinks or coffee or whatever, they would go and get a cup of water. Just having fresh ice cold water, they weren't expecting to have this other thing. Like cold water is delicious and and refreshing. And the kids really, really appreciated it and knew that I was taking a little bit of time out of my life to go and, and get it taken care of for them. And uh, I think that there was a an amount of respect there, thinking that that was pretty cool that the teacher cared about them enough to to do this for them. So I think that it doesn't have to be major effort. It can be with the things that are already around you. I love the idea of going and kind of collecting the food that is left over and distributing it throughout the day. Hopefully some of you know these suggestions will help improve the nutrition for your students. We're going to take one more break. We'll be back right after this. Did you know a recent study found that 99% of office workers were dissatisfied with their current writing implement? Why is it so hard to find the right pen? They're either too thick or too thin, they smear or smudge, won't write upside down, or just run out of ink too quickly. It seems when you find a pen that can write on any surface, it doesn't come in the color you want, or the pen that writes in the rain bleeds through every paper you write on. Well, the people at Hawkins National Laboratory have a solution for you. Yep, the perfect pen. 
the first ink-based writing instrument in the world that meets every one of your needs. Do you prefer a thick line or a thin line? We do that. Do you want your pen to write in the dark, upside down, in the pouring rain? Yes, yes, and yes. The perfect pen is permanent, writes on any surface in any color, and easily washes out of clothes. Don't worry, lefties. The perfect pen will never smear or smudge and is also completely erasable. How can we make a pen that pretty much does everything you want, even if those things seem to contradict each other? Well, if we told you, we'd have to kill you. Seriously, we can't tell you. So never buy another pen off the shelf again. Reach for the perfect pen and find pure writing bliss. The perfect pen, it's perfect. And welcome back. It's now time for our favorite segment of the show. Wait, what? It's our opportunity to share the random stuff that's rattling around our skulls. Yeah, and this time it's not that random. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you know, both of our parents are teachers. And my dad, who's been retired for, gosh, almost 20 years now, I think maybe more than 20 years, was a elementary PE teacher. And uh, just recently, and by recently, this, this last fall, they opened up a brand new elementary school and tore down the old one that I went to school at and my mom had worked at, my dad had worked at, my sister went to school with. And it was in the same lot. So they basically, in the playground, they they built the new school. And once that was ready, they opened the doors this fall and uh, tore down the old one. And one of the things throughout that entire process was the principal, the current principal at this school, had asked my dad who had taught at that school for 27 years to kind of be a sounding board as they were trying to reestablish this new school to make sure that some of the history and some of the tradition and, and some of the things that were really important in the in the former school did not get forgotten. And and you think about that when history moves on, that's how we forget about the past. And and in a place like a school where it's kind of the people that are working there that are running it that understand everything that's going on. There's not a lot of like records and history books and stuff, you know, it's kind of like the pictures on the walls that tell the story. And if those things get lost, then they, they, they're kind of gone forever. And so my dad, who had been there for a really long time, had been asked to kind of be part of this. So just f- for example, the former gym had been named the Ted Weber Memorial Gym after a teacher who had passed away during his time at the school. And if that gets lost or as they build a brand new school and if that new gym does not get that same kind of memorial, then that's gone forever. Anyway, long story short, my dad was a big part of that process. And one of the things that he had asked the principal was, when you tear up the gym, is there any chance I could get some of that gym floor? Uh, My dad's a woodworker and was hoping that he could make something out of it, you know, a bench or a frame or something out of some of that old gym floor that he spent 27 years on. So right before Christmas break, the the principal called my dad and said, hey, I'd like you to come by. Uh, I have something for you. So my dad was thinking, oh, cool, he's going to have a chunk of this floor. Turns out that the principal had actually commissioned one of the contractors to build sort of a framed, quite large piece of the gym floor and had it given to my dad. And I don't know if it was like a, an assembly type of setting or, or some type of deal, but kind of presented it to my dad. And there's this great article in the in the Hood River newspaper about that process and some really good quotes from my dad about the amount of time he spent on that floor. So you're thinking 27 years in a gym. It was a creaky old gym. It was on like a third floor. Uh, he was quoted in the paper as saying he walked up and down those stairs probably 20 times a day. K through five, 27 years. That is a lot of kids that he taught over 
remembered those years. So pretty cool deal. I will make sure to post this article on our Facebook page, but pretty neat story. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations to your dad. And that's a cool thing that that principal did for him to recognize his contributions to the community, not just the school, but the whole community. I'm sure that your dad uh, touched a lot of kids' lives and uh, they probably look back fondly on on that gym floor and the games that they got to play there. I still have a lot of kids that, uh, or kids, grown adults, uh, <laughs> people older than me that will see me and say, uh, oh, I had your dad for PE and almost always to a person. The favorite game was always the obstacle course. He had a one week uh, every year where he set up the whole gym in this like obstacle course. And for the entire class period, all we would do you would just run through the obstacle course and then you'd go back to the starting line. And uh, it's funny how like almost everyone you talk to, that's probably a favorite. That's awesome. Well, that's it for us. Do you have any questions? We have an email address for that. Contact us at schooljapodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Astoria. You can also find me on Instagram at chatterboxes and at my web store, chatterboxes.com. And don't forget about our website, schooljapod.com. And remember, all our sponsors are fake. And as always, a big shout out to my wife, Nikki, for our wonderful theme song. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And don't forget to give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Or if that seems hard, tell a friend to listen. Or don't. See if I care. That's not helpful at all. What are you doing? It's reverse psychology. Now they'll do it just to spite us. (sighs) Thanks for listening. See you soon.